Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 390 of the Sausage Factory. Welcome. Sorry, I'm just really losing it, you know. 390? Okay. Anyway, in this episode, I chat to Joe Mirabello from Terrible Posture Games about the FPS gun morphing game Mother Gunship Forge. Now, some of you may recognise that name. Joe Mirabello, that is. Because he's been on before. Yes, he was on before in episode 292. He was covering a game called 3 Out of 10, which is a episodic point-and-click adventure about a rather obscure and rather strange video game development studio thing. It was run on Epic Game Store. It's great. It is great. But he's back talk about Mother Gunship Forge, which is a VR game. And it's a VR version of Mother Gunship, which is a game you can play right now. Whereas Mother Gunship Forge is a little ways off. But I brought him on anyway to talk about it because there was a demo out for it. And I thought, well, this looks awesome. And it is awesome. It's really fun. Really well put together. Of course it is. Otherwise, it wouldn't be on this show. So, without further ado, while I continue to freak out over 390 episodes, we're very, very close to 400. Let's just listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Joe about Mother Gunship Forge. Chris, take it away. Joe. Hello. Who are you? And what do you do? Uh, Hi. I'm Joe Marbello, CEO and creative director of Terrible Posture Games, and I do I wear a lot of hats. Uh, and right now we're, as a uh, studio, working on a game called Mother Gunship Forge. You are indeed, which is why Joe's yes. here. Now, Joe and I have met a few times at various PAXs. I forget which ones. They kind of blur. 
don't they? When you go to uh, they, them. they do, and they're all kind of ancient history because I haven't been to one in forever. So no. I'm looking back, looking forward to getting back out there someday soon, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, today at the time of recording, I went to the uh, WASD event in London, which is like a small indie sort of event that people are going to. They're showing off their games, just you know, tentatively showing stuff <laughs> out, and it's it's nice. It's nice over in the East End of London. It's really lovely. So, uh, yeah, I had a good time today doing that comeback. Played lots of weird and wonderful games. You go, okay, that's bonkers. Enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and uh, PAX East is coming up. PAX East 2022 is coming up, which I will be attending, which is nice. It's nice. Awesome. Yeah. So it's nice to get back out there. You know, it's um, I'm all vaxxed up to the... To the, to the yeah, office, it kind so. of feels like a thaw. <laughs> yeah, it does, isn't it? It's the only way I can really put it. It's like things are thawing now. But they're just thawing. It's beginning but, to move. Yeah, but it's still in that thawing phase which gives me anxiety. But there it is. There it is. So, how did you make your start making video games, Joe? Oh, man. Okay, so my actual career goes back pretty far uh, okay. to 2005. Actually, even before then, I was modding stuff and making custom levels. But in 2005, I started working for uh, a company called Iron Lore. Um, they made a game called Titan Quest and they made one game and that was it. Um, and I was working for that studio for all through Titan Quest's uh, last year and a half or two years of development and then on the expansion packs. And I made a lot of weapons. I made something like 400 weapons or something like that for that game. Wow. Um, and that was kind of me as a, you know, a junior artist developing my skill set. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I went from there to working on a large MMO um, and it was a giant company. Iron Lore was a pretty small company, even though it was a pretty high quality title. It was still a very tight, tight company. Um, and uh, the MMO studio was like 300 people. So it's a bit of a shift. Um, and th I worked at that studio, though, from pretty much when it started to when they closed down, um, watching it grow and watching how the, the game was being developed from the very early concepts all the way up until, uh, you know, when they were doing um capacity tests and stuff for the MO servers uh, towards the end and uh it uh it, it left an interesting skill set for me like i was developing a lot of different skills uh working there i went from being an artist to being uh to focusing on environment art to focusing on technical environment art to focusing on being a senior and a, a lead technical artist and, and running a team of well i think there were eight or ten of us so when that studio closed down i was like i'm gonna go be indie and so this was 2012 and uh, that was when I started Terrible Posture Games. And I thought it would be a sabbatical for, you know, a year, maybe a year and a half. I made a game called Tower Guns, um, mostly solo. Um, I, I did have my brother help me out with the music, but otherwise it was just me. Um, and uh, later on, people helped me with the ports and stuff. But the initial Steam release was just was pretty much as solo as it could be. And that was because I kind of was treating it like a little vacation. I just wanted to rock through something on my own. I didn't want to be having to collaborate. I just collaborated with 300 people. I kind of wanted to withdraw a little bit and make something just for myself for one player. Um, and uh, that went from being a sabbatical to being a second career. Uh, I went from Tower Guns, then collaborated with another studio to make Mother Gunship for PC, the first Mother Gunship, um, and then began growing Terrible Posture Games as a real studio. And I went from wearing uh, technical artist hats to wearing all the hats to wearing um, more so fewer and fewer hats as I become more and more of a, of a, of a company leader. I still try and get uh, as much direction time as I can. I still creatively direct the projects at TPG, but uh, it's um, these days it's juggling between direction and running a company and, and uh, really making sure that um, we're 
creating a cool, stable environment for creative things to happen. That's quite a story. And also, thanks for Titan Quest. What a game. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, they re-released it on the PS4 and stuff. And like, okay. That, that, that's they a, did, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> They re-released it on Switch too, which yeah. I picked up on Switch. Yeah. Uh, and they put out expansion packs too. I was like, they're, man, they're still making stuff. I know. Um, <laughs> that is the engine that keeps on giving. That's the engine responsible for Grim Dawn as well, if you've ever played that. I did. I backed it on Kickstarter. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that, that lead designer of that was the lead designer of, of Titan Quest as well. There you go. That's probably why I backed um, it. There you go. Um, <laughs> I back more board games than I do video games, if I'm, if I'm honest. But uh, but yeah, I keep on getting kickstarted by board games. Like, oh yeah, this <laughs> happened today. <laughs> I like, I got a notice that I was there's a parcel to pick up. Parcel. I don't remember ordering. Oh no. <laughs> and you open it. It's a nice surprise. It's a nice surprise. Oh, look, I remember that. <laughs> well, that happened to me just uh, about a well, three months ago when I got a giant box in the mail, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" And I opened yeah. it up, and it was Hero Quest. Oh, and I go. entirely forgot <laughs> yeah. that, that Hasbro ran its its whatever custom Kickstarter campaign three years earlier or something yeah. like that. And they, they did and all it of again, a sudden. I received this really nice box. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. nice re-release of that game. It, yeah, well done to them. It, it's, it's not it's not descent, but it'll do. <laughs> 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 but. Um, Anyway, but we must marvel at Path of Exile and stuff like that. Do you have any, I mean, how, where they no. went with that? I mean, it's just a thing or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, you want to know, honestly, I'm, I'm sure Path of Exile is amazing. Yes. Um, after playing and working on Titan Quest for two years and then the expansion pack for a year, and uh, whenever we weren't working on the game, this is how, how small that studio was. Whenever we weren't working actively on a task, we all got pushed over to just QAing and playing over and over and over again. Oh. I got so sick of playing Titan Quest yeah. that I have never gone back to an action RPG. No, I can I can imagine. I can well imagine. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, and I haven't played it since since yeah. the release. Uh, well, since uh, the release yeah. of the expansion pack, um, and uh, I, I feel like now I should go back and actually I would enjoy it because mm. I could play it as a gamer and yeah. not as someone who yeah. sees all of the 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 flaws in my own work. That I'm like, yeah. oh man, I wish I'd gotten another you know, hero, you know, legendary weapon in there. Or I wish yeah, that I had yeah. done a better job on that monster. Yeah. And I was doing more than just weapons. I was doing a little bit of everything by the end. But mm. uh, um, it, especially when you play through the same level a thousand times, you, you get kind of sick of it. And oh, I you can start to see, uh, you know, aptly named podcast, you start to see how the sausage is made. It kind of makes you want to eat sausage a little less. Yes. Yes, it does indeed. <laughs> just the smidgen. Just a smidgen. Yeah. But yeah, oh. so um, you, you didn't. They, so obviously, you've clearly your favourite game is now FIFA. Excellent. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the same thing happened to me with MMOs though. After working at that MMO studio yeah, yeah. for so many years, I was like, I just don't ever want to play an MMO again. No, no, I can. Yeah, and it's yeah. a shame because these are awesome genres and really new things and exciting things are happening. But yeah. um, once you kind of get that burned feeling uh, on the development side, you start to. You start to see the hands of the designer, and it no longer becomes this thing you can engage with as happily uh, as a fan. No. And one of my sort of searing moments of gaming, we've all got them as, as people who play these things. Still remember taking down Nefarian with 39 other people in WoW all those years ago, because that was when it had 40 man raids, not 25. And it was just like that, that, that fight was just ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. And that, that doing that dance and having all those people work together for a single goal. Quite a thing. Never forget. Yeah, you'll probably always remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> shocking. Anyway, next question, Joe. And okay. This, one, this one's a bit nebulous, but I think you'll be fine. Um, 
the question is this. As a creator, you can answer it on behalf of yourself or as terrible posture games. It's up to you. But um, you may find that they are synonymous of each other. That's fine. But what are your biggest influences? You know, I remember this. You asked me this last time, I think. Yeah. Um, I came on to talk about, uh, I think, three out of ten. And yeah. you asked who the most influential designers were. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I probably went into a long ramble about uh, Edmund McMillan because I was a big fan of his work then. I still am. Um, but looking at it from a more, like, whole career yeah. perspective, yeah. For, for, you know, as a studio, we shift our influences based off of who the, who is involved in the studio, like who we who you know, like, uh, like the kinds of projects and the kinds of people working on those projects. I like to know what people are excited about. Right. Um, and so they've brought new things into me to be enriched by, but as a personal creative, uh, I would have to say the biggest influences are, you know, like Warren Spector was huge for me. Deus Ex was a gigantic influence. A thief was a gigantic influence. Um, was a big influence, uh, from interactive fiction, uh, like, well, I'm actually, I've got a, uh, behind me a bookshelf filled with Choose Your Own Adventures. Um, the Choose Your Own Adventures are kind of meh, but the Lone Wolf books, those are super influential. And the Steve Jackson books. Uh, I loved those things. Yeah, uh, I grew up with building. those. Yeah, I grew up with those. Sorcery is one of my favorites of the flight and fantasy games. And but The flight and fantasy games yeah. were fantastic. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're really seeing kind of a, a I, I think I'm seeing a trend with the idea of single player choice was something really interesting to me. So, uh, I got my hands on Morrowind when I was in college and I was like, I picked it up in a bargain bin for $3 from like micro center or something. It was just being thrown away. And, uh, I had no idea what I was getting and I installed that thing. And, and, you know, unlike all the other elder scroll games, Morrowind was like set in a really like alien world. Uh, it was really bizarre. And I was completely overwhelmed with how amazing it was just really giving me interesting choices and really like, I never knew what kind of city or town you get to next. And that was really influential for me. Um, so my influences are kind of all over the place. Uh, um, even like I, I'm really a big fan of early first person shooters. And I've got uh, one of my hobbies is collecting classic PC shooters. Um, and uh, even among them, there's tons and tons of different influences that were really important to me. Um, and uh, I think that I would probably put Dark Forces as one of the first ones. And it's not so much that the game was amazing it was a very well made game with really solid level design uh but it was one of the first games i was able to crack open and start modding and so mm. that was that became an influence because of the access yeah uh, like all of a sudden i had the the i think it was some fan made a an editor for people to use um i think that guy ended up getting hired by LucasArts, but um and he should have been but he made the like community editor for that game. And I remember just pouring through fan made missions and making my own and I never released anything, but I was like this 15 year old making 16 years old. I don't remember how old I was um, uh, making custom dark forces levels and, and making my computer cry because, you know, I didn't understand the idea about what the tech limits were at those days. No, extraordinary game that though. I do remember playing. Oh, it was fan- It was a fantastic game. Yeah, it yeah. was, uh, it was fantastic. I just don't know if it was like particularly more fantastic than something like Doom, which also had, you know, obviously a massive, you know, fan community. And I had I found Doom first, uh, I probably would have gotten into that one more for the modding. Um, it was just given, a matter of Dark Horses, the one that crossed my path first. Given the choice between the two, I still think I go with Doom. Um, I think Doom has more longevity. Yeah. 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 I think um, there's. I having replayed Dark Forces recently, relatively recent, about maybe a year ago or so. Yeah, 
<laughs> so okay, all right. Let's talk about Dark Forces for a minute because Dark yeah. Forces, I feel like, is like Doom. The level design when it works in Doom, you cannot find better level design. Correct. Like, I feel like yeah. that's where Romero really made an impact on this industry was his level design was amazing, and you can see it in Sigil too. When Sigil's working amazing, you can tell. Mm. Um, it's like, oh man, Romero's got it still. Um, that sense of level design, the sense of it being a conversation with the player. Yeah. And Dark Forces does that in some levels in a much bigger sense because the levels in general are much bigger in Dark Forces. And when it yep. works, it all really nicely ties together and there's really a sense of place that Doom never had because Doom was a little bit more abstract. You know, you're in hellish random corridors or corridors rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Dark Forces would do that with like, okay, here's a prison built inside of, uh, of a cliff that you have to figure out how to get through the cliff to the prison. And um, the problem with Dark Forces is that it was early to like level design was so much in its infancy back then that when it worked amazing, it was awesome. But then there's just as many points on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, okay, now there's one random door you got to find and you're never going to find it because the level's a maze and it's uh, it, it's like falls flat on its face. Uh, so it, those days were, were fantastic because we were all figuring out what yeah. worked and what didn't. And when it worked, Dark Forces has some of the best level design uh, uh, of the era. Uh, I think uh, of any first person shooter, but it's just, there's very few spots where it really, 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 really worked. Yeah. And there was some, I mean, I just remember there's the waste disposal area and this is like, that was like, oh. That please. level was tough. Like that, yeah. Just, that like, was a little mazy. Very, and, yeah. It's like, oh, we're here again. It looks exactly the same. Oh, no, wait. No, it's a thing. No, it was the same. You got routed to that same center. I can talk to you about level design in Dark Forces. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> that one was tough because it's like, yeah. you know what make this level even easier to navigate? Let's turn off the lights. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> That's a good example of what maybe was not the greatest of level design decisions. No. That one was very no. confusing. But, um, um, but and it was like the second level. Yeah, it was. Or third, third level. Yeah, yeah. But, you you know, you still get you, – you got that drive to like – what is it with those dark troopers? What's the deal? Oh, wow. That's the deal. This is bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, later on, there's some levels. Like, I feel like they really kind of got their uh, stride by the time you get to, like, there's an ice level later that's really, really interestingly made. And it's not, there's still choice there. Yeah. But it's got uh, the decisions that a lot of other studios didn't really nail until, or not the decision, the lessons. That yeah. level has some really interesting lessons from it in that you have circular design the entire level is a big loop but you don't realize it until suddenly you get dropped back out of your ship and you don't have to backtrack at all it's just like oh, oh and these oh, are things that yeah. like you look at like you know you didn't start seeing that as a standard in game design until oh i don't know maybe 2005 2006 yeah maybe right around whenever borderlands came out or with mmos actually you would see it with mmos mm -hmm. because you would want to route people back to where they started yeah, yeah. um and they try to find ways to hide it cleverly but that game was doing it six years earlier. Yeah. Um, and it's because they made you go back to your ship. So they were like, well, that was a terrible design decision. Now we got to build all the levels around it. So, <laughs> you know, you didn't have to deal with that. Because <laughs> it was like, oh, there's the exit. We're out of here. Yeah, yeah. And also, you could argue that that game helped Mandalorian came to be. But that that's just another Because <laughs> uh, sometimes the episodes of that show, I'm sitting there going, sorry, am I playing a video game now? I'm confused. Or if you know, it feels like a an, like a session in a tabletop RPG. Like that's a side quest. <laughs> totally <laughs> side quest. So yeah, yeah I mean, it, there's don't don't get me wrong. There's plenty of flaws with Dark Forces, but it will mm. always hold a, no. a spot in my heart. You could say the same of X Wing. Lots of flaws with that game. Yeah. How, <laughs> however, however, um, so next question. I know you answered this before, but it'd be fun to sort of talk about this again with you. 
Um, any uh, what developer do you admire in the industry? Why are you pointing at? Maybe at the moment historically, go you there. Carry on what you're doing. You're very good. It's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, I mean, I mentioned before uh, Warren Spector and how influential yeah, indeed, he was. Yeah. Um, so I actually don't know what he's up to now, and I'm sure it's something. Um, but like his work historically has been pretty influential on me. Um, you know, uh, I look back at Deus Ex's design and it's another good example of really compelling, like not just open-endedness in the level design, but in the system design too. And there are some places where it's really wacky, but it, uh, I remember playing that game and not really being sure what was going to open up next because so many things opened up and I was like, this is going to be a system that opens up into nowhere. It's like complete like mayhem or is it going to be a level that does it or story that does it? Um, it was, uh, uh, that game took me for a ride the first time I played it. And again, I think it was because I didn't have any expectations. Like, I had no idea what I was getting into, like Morrowind. Um, so I think Warren Spector would be a huge one. I was reading, recently reading a book about Iwata, um, the Nintendo, the, the former, he passed away, uh, Nintendo CEO. And I had no idea about half of the things that were super influential to him. And uh, it was, what was the name of the book? Um, actually, I think it's right behind me. He was Ask Iwata? Yes. Um, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's a short read, but I was just like, wow, this guy is amazing. I was like, this guy is someone I, if I had known about his his hand earlier, I would have been like really, really following his, his work. And as a designer, it seems like he and Mo- Miyamoto really, really worked, had like a really amazing synergy. And I, uh, you know, I am no... Miyamoto and Noah Iwata, but I, I see that relationship that the two of them had, and it feels very much like a similar energy that that me and my tech director have together, and I feel very excited by that. It's like I like the idea of a relationship being inspiring, um, yeah. and uh, yeah. that was a, a really a recent thing. As I was re- as I was reading that book, I was like, this is you know maybe someday <laughs> it could be yeah, like that. It does it does catch you by surprise when he's like, wait, he he, he was into that kind of like, yeah. He was driven by these other things that you think, no, surely not. Like, oh, no, yeah. It's really an eye-opener when you find your the creators or heroes being inspired by things that you are also having interest in or you are surprised by the things they have an interest in. Like, Yeah, well, or just when you find out that those heroes are not, you know, nobody is, should be put up on a pedestal. Everybody's no. got flaws. But when you find that it's 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 really the thing that you are responding to is a relationship and not mm. just an individual yeah, I think that really grounds things because you're like, oh, okay, it's not just one person. It's about finding the other people around you because as much as I talked about working in solitude on Tower of Guns, I could never have built any of the following projects that Terrible Hasha Games made no. on my own. This is a collaborative industry. There are people out there who are solo developers and they do amazing things, but those are the exceptions to the rule. And by and large, this industry is an industry of, of teamwork. And uh, when you find those kinds of... of of duos or trios and see them work for a long period of time that's really inspiring yeah yeah it was always that bell curve isn't it it was got extremes on the end but uh yeah the bulk and rightly so um is collaborative effort whether it's actually with the creators themselves or another other team of creators or with the audience unless we forget you know you get that feedback <laughs> loop as well and you go oh, yeah, well, yeah the audience yeah. is actually a participant in the game you know yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. games are about a conversation with them so yeah, yeah. yeah exactly right last question of the first half you've been here before you know what's going to happen here we go what are you playing right now what am i playing right now 
you're going to laugh. I went back to Skyrim again. Um, uh, I Well, the anniversary edition? The uh, Whatever one is on the Switch, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so uh, I picked it up. I was going to delete the this you know free up some room on the on the system, and I was oh, like, yeah. "Well, where's this profile?" And then a week later, I'm still playing this. <laughs> like, I got right back into a mission again. I'm like, dang it! Um, I've also been playing a lot of Slay the Spire. Um, I recently finished up Resident Evil Village. Um, a little okay. bit late, but that's the way things tend to work for me. As I tend to play things a little bit later. Um, that's fine. Yeah, uh, I thought Village was pretty solid. There were you know ups and downs of it, but it, but there was. Uh, some really cool, really cool uh, moments in it. And uh, I really liked the castle, the castle arrangement they had, their castle uh, layout they had was really cool. Uh, I'm also playing, uh, I recently picked up um, Hrot, H R O T. I don't quite know how you say that. It's a, a classic Quake like um, uh, shooter on Steam. Very indie, uh, early access. Feels very, very quakey, like Quake okay. 1 specifically um mm. even down to the color palettes and the menus and i can appreciate that and i'm like okay i can i can get behind this and so it's been nice, enjoying that nice and brown and green nice and brown nice and brown and gray and <laughs> yeah. yeah and beige <laughs> and beige um yeah but uh it's it's got a few twists in it but it's i appreciate the aesthetic being so so perfectly uh dialed into mm. that specific year you know of game history yeah which i thought was yeah. pretty cool um, yeah, or that I, specific i guess era yeah, I just for me it was just that was, I was chatting to a friend about you know the early 3D acceleration cards for the PCs and Quake. You know, I remember seeing you know Geo Quake running like, oh my god, look at that! It was just so smooth and you so could smooth s- and well, those are probably early Voodoo cards or yeah, something. Yeah, they were. Know. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, uh, that's how, that's just how I saw Tomb Raider. When people say Tomb Raider, I think it's a PS, you know, PlayStation game. Uh, no. No, that was a 3DFX game. Like, what? That's how I saw it. I mean, I saw it as a, and it, it it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> oh, see, I see the original Quake as the first time I really got into multiplayer online yeah. with yeah. like 16 people, and I was like, this is amazing, and yeah. I was really, really digging it, and and liked playing with these 15 other strangers from all over the place. And then I talked to my friends at school, and they were like, I just got Goldeneye. You can play with three other people, and I'm like, what? <laughs> What? 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 Did it have to be in the same room as you? <laughs> Philistine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do not that? To, not to, not to down, not to, to no. you know, uh, crap on Goldeneye or anything because no. I, I have nothing against Goldeneye, but it definitely felt like I was living in the future in a weird way, and I was like, yeah. "Have you heard of Quake? Yeah, the plan was just sixteen of you, and one of them's in Texas." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember GL Quake and the um, Quake Test. I downloaded and everyone got excited about it because then when when people seen the screenshots, they went, "Well, that's not possible." And then it's a well, it was yeah, <laughs> yeah. I never got, I, I didn't get into Quake Test. It was straight straight the, only the retail version that I ever really oh, played, okay. and it was always at a friend's house. So yeah. we would take turns with lives on multiplayer because yeah, um, yeah. he had the internet connection that could handle it, and I was on yes. like fourteen four or something back then. <laughs> well, yeah, with those screechy things that when you describe it to to, to, to someone of some, some slightly younger, they go, "Surely you're lying at this point." No, no, we are not. <laughs> no, yeah, the internet was you know literally. Uh, like one character in a sentence a second or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was watching a video on YouTube the other day about how he was building a like a, an old like ISP just for funsies, just to demonstrate how it used to work. Apparently the phone lines we have now won't actually do that anymore. We can't even use modems anymore 
because all our f- phones are now voice over the internet. It's VoIP. It's not. It's not copper. They've all gone. They just they're gone. Interesting. Huh. It's just like yeah, we can't. We can never go back to that. It's like all that technology, all of that e-waste, gone. It's all utterly useless because the phone lines. Well, I'm uh, yeah. okay with not having to go back to modems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah me too. Me too. Especially so, phone line modems. Those yeah, were not yeah. fun. They were not fun. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, just as an aside. But um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Definitely check it out. A matter of times, I uh, this show's expensive for me. It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> So that's the end of the first half, Joe. So we move on to the second half. Well, we sure. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to de- Let's dive deep into Mother Gunship Forge. First question, then, Joe. It's not really a question; it's a request. Can you tell us what is Mother Gunship Forge? All right. Well, Mother Gunship Forge is a VR exclusive follow-up to the original Mother Gunship. It's a standalone game where you are uh, fighting off hordes of robotic alien uh, uh, fiends, um, and you are crafting really ridiculous guns. These guns are completely customizable, like Legos. It is like playing with Legos in, in uh, with a gun. Um, so you can like strap eight different barrels onto, uh, your, your fist and have like an, an eight barrel rocket launcher or something. You know, you can have chain guns that are spitting out lava bullets. Um, you can have, uh, saw blade launchers that are firing, you know, actual pizzas or something. It's, it gets really silly. Um, but you can kind of combine these all together. We break down all of these different components for you to play with that change the game's behavior, change the gun's behavior, change the enemy's behavior, and you can build your own weapons. Um, and it ends up being a really, really ridiculously intuitive experience. Um, Mother Gunship, the original game, came out in 2018, and it was a lot of fun to make. Uh, it was very action-packed, very uh, very much a follow-up to Tower of Guns. Not so much in that it was the same world or brand, but it was very much a follow-up on the things that I had learned from that game, um, in that it was uh, a lot of randomization and a lot of bullet hell-type qualities. And Mother Gunship Forge kind of doubles down on that, the, the idea that there's uh, this crafting experience um, and the idea that it can be really intuitive even in an action-packed game. Um, and uh, 
the original game had similar crafting, but it was all done with like mouse or with controller and you were having to kind of navigate these weird sockets and stuff. And we looked at VR and we we're like, wait a second, that's there. There's no lesson to be taught to the player there. They just intuitively know how to put two Legos together. And sure enough, that's exactly what it is. So um, it's, it's very intuitive crafting to make any kind of gun that you can um, happen upon uh, based off the parts you find. Definitely. Um, and we were talking in the virtual green room earlier about uh, the show I'm recording for Kane and Rince on The Mask Maker, which is a previous episode of the, the, the Sausage Factory about that game. And that's a very tactile game. It's a game that requires you to pick things up and then put things elsewhere. And that's something that Mother Gunship embraces. You have two hands that you can clench and move and gesticulate because that's what the uh, VR allows you to do. And because <laughs> it, because it's wonderful. And that grants you all of a sudden, whereas in the original Mother Gunship game, which I adore, by the way, it's, it's Fantastic oh, game, um, but for me, I played that a lot before I played Forge. I was like, "Well, let's let's engage a little bit for play for an hour or so." Well, I say an hour, five hours later. But <laughs> I delved into that again, and I went, okay, let's let's see what. And it's just that extraordinary feeling of no longer going into an, inter- an interface and trying to visualize something in a 3d space on a 2d plane it's now just directly in your face and as you say all of that barrier of having to use an interface to try to figure out where things fit and how often do you buy something and you go oh no see it's, that's not going to work now because it's not going to it's sort of blocking that port and i can't i can't get it so i've wasted two coins on that well not wasted it but you can't use it yet and then whereas you know with forge that's less likely to happen um, still can happen, but you know it's just that sense of, you know, three D spatial awareness is way more heightened because you know human beings are good at that. Um, so. <laughs> well, this is really what uh, what we kind of were predicting would happen with with Forge. We were like, you know, VR has got a lot of interesting thing. Excuse me, a lot of interesting things going on in the VR space, but you know, one of the biggest benefits of it is this less sexy idea that you just have depth perception. And the idea that you can manipulate things in uh, in space without having to to navigate a menu, without having like all these little intuitive things create whole new genres. Like all these little uh, uh, things that you know, if you're still thinking about it in terms of 2D games, you're never going to break through the barrier of what's possible in VR because in VR it's just um, uh, the rules are a little bit different about what you can or not. Uh, let the player do. You don't have to restrict them to these planes. You don't have to have them navigate menus. Um, and uh, we saw how the crafting could work and we built together, you know, put together a little prototype and we were delighted about how intuitive it was. We were like, this is actually far and away a more superior way to build guns than any other game we've ever played. Any kind of crafting or anything like that, this just works better. It's just more fun. It's more intuitive. You do what you want rather than what you think you can maybe get away with the buttons they give you. You know, it's uh, it's really um, empowering, and, yeah. and we kind of like that about it. And that was really what put us down the road of like, you know what, this this is a game here. This can actually work, and this can actually be something different and fresh that nobody's seen. Um, so that's which, what we set out to do. <laughs> which leads me on to my first sort of design question: So it's the move to VR at Mother Gunship. Uh, was actually predicted, I noticed, by the comments and review comments in Steam. Because I like reading those, you know, the positive <laughs> ones, really. And they said, when's this come to VR, then? 
because <laughs> they said this game's made for VR. And like, yeah, it wasn't. It was just a commenter, and there's loads of comments like that. I went, yeah, good question. Here we are, four yeah. years later. <laughs> four years later, it, it took a little bit of of. I mean, there were some things that were very, very, you know, like we couldn't get away with them in VR um, uh, now or then um, in the original game. And, no. you know, in some cases, it's like very intuitive, like, OK, let's think through how the crafting would work. Still took us a bit of time to make that. It wasn't something we could do overnight, but it's uh, in some cases, the crafting, some cases, it was the design. Some cases, it was wanting to take a look at the gameplay from the original Mother Gunship and be like, you know, what, what do we not like and what do we think we could double down on and make mm. more successful? Um, and the crafting was actually one of those. As successful as the crafting was in the original Mother Gunship, um, it wasn't really complementary to the way that the players wanted to play the game. Um, players really wanted to build and own a gun over a longer period of time and really build it up. And so we're like, okay, what can we do to make that happen? Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, a lot of this is a lot of this is a case of hindsight is twenty twenty. But we really learned a lot from the first game, and we're like, what can we do in this one to make this one? just be a better game all around give the player more choices um i mean that's really what gameplay is is presenting the player with interesting choices and yeah. i think that's uh i think that's basically sid Meier's definition if i remember correctly in his book he talks about that it's like good gameplay is just interesting choices if it's yeah. not an interesting choice it's not fun and so we tried to find all the interesting choices that we could and jam them into um uh mother gunship forge in, in fun and surprising ways yeah, I just think, I mean, my, my question really on, and you answered a lot of it already, so thanks, Joe, but it's really, it's okay, it's fine, but really I was just asking, how have you found the shift? Because for me, the biggest thing that struck me when I first started playing it was the pacing has changed dramatically, whether it's intentional or whether you know it's happened. When you play Mother Gunship original, it's very fast, you're running around really fast and you're jumping around like a lunatic. Clearly... That ain't gonna fly in VR unless you've got a you know a heart and stomach of a concrete elephant. Um, you know it's difficult to do that in VR to jump around. I mean, yes, you can. You do move, and you have to do have to move. Mother gunship forwards because if you don't, you'll get hurt. Which I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's very much you know super hot. I'm liking. It's good. It's good stuff. But it is no end. Your your actual movement. Your actual you know movement from space to pace i mean you can change the systems and stuff but you know i was just doing it on on the spot and um it was just fantastic to but it did everything was slightly slower but it makes it a lot more manageable but doesn't detract from the fun and yeah it's a little slower stuff is a little bigger in vr yeah yeah yeah. uh um and um just the scale of things is uh feels way bigger than the original game um Mm. but you're right uh the original game was very focused on uh, mobility also. Um, yeah. And we may explore that in the future um, mm. in VR. Um, there's definitely a, a huge group of people that want to navigate twisting labyrinthian rooms in VR. Yeah. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were not overstepping our own abilities and we wanted to get our focus really tight on on what we thought was going to be the most interesting aspect of the game, which is the decisions of making gun, uh, how you're going to put together your gun. So, for us, it was crafting all the way through. Does that decision reinforce interesting crafting choices? Does this gameplay element really present the player with, with choice? Um, and uh, we basically oriented our entire lens around that. The mm. pace of the game is still can be still pretty chaotic, especially when you get to the higher end levels. Things feel pretty fast, but you are jumping around um, to dodge things physically. So uh, we have to kind of make sure that you're not... Uh, 
asking the player to do things that are physically impossible. <laughs> so suddenly that becomes a, a, a binding element. And there are movement modes that allow you to use the, the controller. Um, but uh, it, we want to make sure that all of the different kind of movement modes are su- supported by the core gameplay loop. So Absolutely. we kind of focus everything on a stage for the player and let the choices come to them. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess that's actually a good way to put it. We want to bring the choices to where you are um, uh, and, and let that be the thing that shines. We got nothing against more chaotic movements in VR. Uh, if you've got the stomach for it, it's just maybe that's something down in the future to look at. Yeah. So the next sort of question is: we talk about the crafting, the design of the add-ons. There are differences between those in the original mother gunship than what you've put in to to forge. Um, how have you found that, and what led to those changes? Do you think was it because of what we just discussed about the the pacing, the fact that the choice is now being thrust upon the player rather than more of a sort of a symbiotic relationship? What's what's going on there? Well, the original game didn't have as much choice as it seems. Uh, there was a lot of interesting things that were going on, but we were always a little bit hamstrung by our deadlines and by the scope of what we could do and by the the core loop. Um, there's a lot of things that I think could be revisited in that game, but that's not to, 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 to downplay it at all. I think it's, it's, you know, the, the team and the project I think came out really solid. Um, it's just looking back at it with that 2020 vision, you can kind of see these things a little bit more clearly. And one of the things that lacked choice, it seemed like it had all choice was the guns. Um, you could put together guns and add all sorts of modifiers to make the gun bullets do different things. And that was all well and fine. Um, and we still have that. But that's kind of where the crafting ended in Mother Gunship. The original one uh, kind of limited you to changing your bullets. And those bullets were an expression of the player's uh, abilities. With Mother Gunship Forge, we are now making it so that you are actually changing the world. Um, your gun can affect everything in the, in the whole world. Uh, it can affect the, the prices in shops. It can affect the rate at which things spawn. It can affect um, the kinds of things that will, will will drop. It can affect little little things that happen, like maybe you'll get a shield every room that you go through or something. Uh, like There's lots of choices that are happen, where, happen now that suddenly make you have to weigh your gun's firepower versus something that could get you more firepower later, like being able to get to another shop or more options in shops or um, things like that. It, it really, we were like, there's no reason to really limit this to just bullet physics which is for some reason, and I actually would, would take the blame for this one for, for the first game. For some reason, I was really homing in on bullet physics as being the thing that you manipulated. And that's fun and well and good and all, but doesn't really al- allow for nearly as much um, breadth as it could. And I think that even one of the people over uh, at our co-developer studio might have suggested something similar to this. And it just, I guess, took a year for it to sink in, I guess. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> two years for it to sink in. As these things um, do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, no, I kind of see how this, how crafting could be expanded to be way more interesting. And totally it, it was the right direction to go because in Forge, you can sit there and be thinking about your gun in a very, very thoughtful way for a long period of time. There's not always a right answer. It's a no. what do you think is best at the moment. Yeah. You um, don't know what's coming. You don't know what's coming. You don't really. know what's coming. No. Yeah. And you don't always get the same options. There's constantly you're faced with new choices. Um, yeah. And well, maybe a lot of it comes down to just my own skill as a director, being able to see these things or digest things that have been suggested and, uh, you know, and, and deploy them finally. My next question is something that's about the 
the physics of the space that you're in, which I'm really enjoying with with VR games. That they they really the best ones are the ones that really revel in this. The fact that you they put the player in the world rather than you looking in on it. Um, and you've definitely done this with Mother Gunship Forge because with the original Mother Gunship, you had one direction in which you were pointing, and that's where your bullets went, and that's that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Mother Gunship Forge, you've got two hands <laughs> and therefore two arms. Therefore, you can shoot in at least, at least two directions if you have two guns on both hands. Dual, you know, well, it's just, and what's lovely is that in the original Mother Gunship Forge, it would say, no, you can't put a, a gun where it's facing the wrong way because you're not facing forward. Whereas but do you know in, why that was, actually? Go on, go on. Uh, so we tried it actually. There's no real technical no. reason why you couldn't put a gun facing backwards oh, in, yeah, yeah. in a in a first person shooter. Yeah, yeah. It's just it was a lot of resources to incur for something that most of the time players would miss. Ninety five percent of the time they would put their gun barrel on backwards on accident, yeah. and then be firing at something behind them and just never know why their gun wasn't firing. Yeah. And uh, you know there's ways to communicate that, but we're like actually you, you're facing forward. We probably should have the guns be facing forward. Facing forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that way the the um, the intuitiveness of the system was a little bit more um, yeah. uh, apparent, or not apparent, but uh, I guess the system was built to build your guns in ways that made you more more capable. Because firing yeah. backwards is not nearly as as successful as it sounds yeah. in a first person shooter. In VR, yeah. it actually can be. Yeah. Um, well, especially firing to the sides can be very effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have a lot I've, of enemies that come in and flank you and forge, and having a sideways gun is not a bad thing, or sideways shield is not a bad thing. No, nah, no. Nah, I've done that. It's quite silly. I've bolted it on the side, <laughs> there's things sticking out, and, like, and I'm shooting away at something, and oh, wait, that, that was there? Okay. <laughs> I've killed it now. Well, you but got it. it. Yeah, I've got it now, but it's just such a lovely sort of freeing feeling. So, how has that sort of altered your you know, design of the levels. I mean, the fact that the player and the enemies can come in. I mean, this has allowed you to have everything come in at all directions, knowing the player has agency and the ability to look from the corner of the, you know, the side of their eye going all the, and the audio design is fantastic, by the way. Just, you know, I've only been playing Oh, thanks. I can pass that along to the audio folks. Yeah, um, please okay. do. The directional audio is just wonderful. And the fact that, oh, it's, a, it's over to my right. I can't see it. But I know what it is because I recognise the sound from what those are. How they, you know, the, the, the giant bomb things or the blades, spinner blades and stuff. And it's just like you know, just I've I've actually done the, um, you know, shoot something without actually looking at it. <laughs> it's just it's fun to do that. You feel very cool. You do, you do. It's just you know. Now you, you can do that in other games though, but yeah. in Forge you could shoot something without your gun pointing at it also. So yeah. <laughs> exactly, and that feels really cool. If so you have how, a sideways barrel and you're like, I got it, and you point your gun somewhere else and hit it anyway. So how have you found designing the environments, uh, knowing that the player can do that? Well, everything is all new. It had to be built around the idea that that is the way the game is from the ground up. Um, so we, we definitely uh, took the designs from the original game and and rebuilt them for VR. But when it comes to the level designs, there's no shared levels between the two games. They're all completely new rooms, completely new levels, completely new um designs um built and uh and populated with enemies to uh support the perspective um of the player um so uh it it took 
with any game, it takes a little bit of time in the beginning of the project to kind of you know, develop a, a, a common language of what works and what doesn't among the teams. And once you kind of all get calibrated, then a, a lot of those questions are kind of solved, but it's almost solved in an intuitive way through just iteration and playtesting, iteration and playtesting, iteration and playtesting. Um, and there were things that we learned along the way that were not successful. And it's like, okay, well, let's just take them out. Um, certain ways that enemies behaved, giving players cues about when something was off screen, encouraging enemies to, to walk a certain direction so that uh, you had a chance. Um, little alert sounds, uh, you know, all sorts of little things. Um, and uh, I guess you could kind of, what's the reverse of uh, death by a thousand cuts? Uh, life by a thousand drops of water or something? Yeah, I don't know. Mate, I don't um, know, I don't know. It's yeah. kind of like, I feel like that this is a case where successful level design or successful enemy population design is coming down to a lot of little things that kind of build up to make an experience that feels cohesive. Agreed. And fun. Yeah, yeah. My last question then is something that we sort of danced around a little bit because then we've spoken about the structure of Forge because it is a roguelike. I hesitate to use, use that. There's some persistence you build up more weapons you unlock more things as you keep replaying replaying become more you reach a plateau of skill because the game morphs depending on your own personal skill levels that's how i interpret roguelike you may disagree but that's how i've always found to play them is like, okay i'm gonna re-wash wash until i reach a plateau where my skill level matches the challenge of the game and then i progress that's how i've modeled them um and I found with Mother Gunship Forge, with the time I've spent with it, which is not inconsiderable, um, there's definitely a celebration on the part of the player. There's a reward to the player for efficient play. You know, if they manage to get through a level without being shot or hurt in any way, there's generally, like, you are rewarded for dexterous and skillful play. Is this a cornerstone of his design? Um, of roguelikes in general, or do you mean of Forge? No, of Forge. Of Forge. Uh, I mean, you do want to reward the players who are doing well, um, mm. but uh, I don't necessarily think that it's a cornerstone because part of what makes the the genre, the subgenre, interesting is that even players who are doing well, uh, even players who think they're very good, may reach an unlucky moment. There's surprises for them, and players who are not necessarily as good will still have a chance. Uh, because every so often something will come along that's very uh, new and engaging. Um, this goes kind of back to the conversation of of, 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 of game design being a conversation with the player. Um, and you want to make sure that the conversation is filled with interesting choices that change over time. So we've got a pretty robust unlock system in the game, so that stuff is constantly being unlocked. You're finding new parts. You're finding new kinds of, of uh, perks and modes. Um, and uh, um, there is a definite... Um, you're right. It has got a lot of roguelite uh, 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 DNA in it, um, and it, I think it, it does it pretty successfully, but it's not like a traditional roguelite where there's nothing gained for a lost run. You are constantly working towards getting new surprises uh, uh, unleashed um, for good or for worse. Um, so, yeah, and that could, you know, that can really be just the kinds of parts that unlock, and eventually you'll unlock the ability for a whole new gun to spawn, a whole new barrel, or a whole new uh, ammo type, or um, you know, new kinds of, of power-ups, not really power-ups, but perks, uh, you know, different ways to play the game um, can unlock over time. Um, so it, it's, we try and make sure that the, uh, that the roguelite 
stuff is put in check by the still having the feeling of progression. And if you're really good, you just progress really fast. Really fast. <laughs> through a lot what, of that stuff. That's so what, you are rewarded for it, yes. Yes, you are yeah. rewarded for, for skill, full play. Yeah, yeah, you are rewarded for the skill for sure. Uh, yeah. Eventually, though, if you're not good, you will eventually get to unlock similar things. It just may take you a significant amount of time more. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we don't want to hold back certain content. No, absolutely not. And I just found it just really, when you nailed it, when you nailed a room and you didn't get even a scratch, nothing, and everything else was laid waste and went, see, see, I know what I'm doing. It's important to, it's really yeah, important it's to you. There's a lot yeah. more limits on health in this game compared to the yeah. first oh, one. So yes, uh, it's, yes. it's, you want to be very careful to not get yeah. hit at all. Um, and um, it is, you know, you do get like a, uh, a good feeling, a good rush when that happens, when you're, yeah. you're, you're really doing well. Or when and you get a really good part. Yeah. Um, and, a, and the great thing about VR is the HUD is nowhere because it can't be because otherwise it's disorientating. So your HUD is on your hands, just like in... Yep, it's on, on the back of your wrists. <laughs> yeah, just like in Half-Life Alex. Anyway, <laughs> like how many bullets I've got? Well, look at your gun. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's how many I've got. I mean, yeah, to be fair, they're not the first game that has done that. Even oh, old no. first-person shooters, there were some that have done that. Um, Halo. Halo did it. Yeah. yeah, the original Halo. There were some, yeah. I think... Oh, shoot. What was it? Uh, one of the Alien games did that, where they had a counter on every single gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Well, the, pul- the pulse no. rifle always had one, didn't it? Even in the film, so... Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So the yeah. pulse rifle had the counter. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh shoot! Was it Outlaws that had the six shooter that you could oh, actually check yes. the barrels? Could check it been barrels the old Outlaws game. Yeah, yeah. Gone back to Lucas Arts again. Anyway, where <laughs> all roads lead eventually, isn't it? Really, um, so. <laughs> all roads lead to Lucas Arts. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so, Joe, Mother Gunship Forge, which is developed by Terrible Posture Games, wonderful name for a company. Sure Thanks. I heard it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's the you know don't don't. This is why I have this really great seat. People go, let's see the top. They're awesome. They're great for your back. Trust me, I know. Uh, <laughs> but um, so yeah, Mother Gunship is available on what platforms? Or is it um, so we are launching on uh, Quest Two. Yeah, and we launched with Steam VR um, mm-hmm. right now. Index, but we're not sure what other platforms. We aim to get as many as possible before launch, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really excited for it, but. Uh, until it does come out. And of course, you come back again for third time. Fantastic. I mean, not, <laughs> our record holder is Inkle because they, they've been on five, four, five times. Oh, I've lost losing track. But uh, no, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about what next is up and, and, and we'll be here. Trust me. Oh, anytime, uh, man. We'll be fine. But this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Joe. Oh, thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>